Well, thank you, um, <clears throat> Pastor Lytell. We really, really appreciate your uh, your kindness. And uh, the whole time we've known Pastor Lytell, he's always been incredibly gracious and so easy to work with, and um, and very funny. <laughs> so we've enjoyed <laughs> we've enjoyed him and uh, and his sense of humor. Uh, it's been been really, really good. I, I kind of want to start out t- tonight by saying uh, one of the things we do as independent Baptists well, and I think it reveals that we possess God's presence in a unique way, is that we do missions. And a lot of people don't know that independent Baptists do missions, and very few other people do do not do missions. And one of the problems I have as an independent Baptist is, as a church becomes neo-evangelical or becomes watered down, they will drop me as a missionary. And they, 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 one of the first things as a church begins to become liberal, the first thing it does is it, it ends its missions program. And it is fundamental Baptist churches that around the world have been so faithful in planting independent Baptist churches. And I got to tell you that it is an incredible strength. When we went to Ireland uh, 23 years ago, we never dreamed that Ireland would become the wealthiest country in the world of people over 500,000 people. We just had no idea that it would become the top 1%. But because we were there and because we have a church there, when Ireland attracts people from all over the world to work in high-tech companies like Facebook or Google or, or some pharmaceutical companies, the church is there. And as the world continues to change and it continues to reorient itself, Independent Baptists have missionaries all over the world. And what it means is that we have a reach into these situations and have tremendous opportunities before us. Ireland is a very dynamic mission field. It is a tremendously open mission field. It's not, it's not open to new missionaries, but for those of us that are there, it is, it is a tremendous opportunity that we have. And one of the big things that Beth and I are doing is we are working with some really young, smart people that are coming in, and they're not Baptists, they're not saved, and or, or they're not saved. Some are charismatic, some are Calvinists, and we were able to work with them and ground them in good, solid Bible doctrine and bring them to completion in Christ so that they have a right relationship with him. And so it's just an, an important thing, I think, that we, that we understand as, a, as the people of God, that God has enabled us to be a part of missions. I do have a personal story I want to share with you. I talked to Pastor about it before. When I was, uh, my dad was a commercial printer he, in New York City. He moved to Florida when I was two and a half years old. And we moved to Pinellas Park. And while we were in Pinellas Park, he, he, he did not get victory. He was an unsaved man and was an alcoholic. He was a working drunk. Uh, he worked in commercial printing. And we could live with, as a family, with his drinking. But when he began gambling, our family began to fall apart. We, be, we fell into deep poverty, and we fell into a very, very difficult situation. We were on food stamps and things like that. And my mother went to the Catholic Church, the Sacred Heart Church there in Pinellas Park, where we were in school. And she said, will you do something to help me? She literally had nothing to feed us. And the nun at the Catholic Church said, what have you ever done for the church? And my mom was so ashamed and so hurt by that statement that she was just broken. And that week, a bus captain from from Pinellas Park Baptist Temple came by. His name was Shelby. And I've never told this story. I was in a missions conference that ended on Wednesday. I asked a youth pastor about it, and I went and found the church they combined with. And 
as, as Shelby came by each week, we didn't want to go. We wanted to sleep in. But my mom made us go. And for almost three years, I rode that bus route, and I made a profession of faith. And my brothers and sisters made a profession of faith. My mom came out on a big day, and she was converted. She was actually saved on a promotional day from the buses. And what people don't understand, what nobody knows is, other, other than you, is that um, there are thousands, there could be thousands of people saved that they absolutely do not know about. My brother is a missionary in India. I am a missionary in Ireland. My younger brother, Jimmy, who rode that bus, is an assistant pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my mom and, and almost all of the family is now saved, and there are a lot of vibrant soul winners, and nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody who is part of that ministry knows any of that or anything about that. There's nobody there. I think there's a couple of people in the church that they combined with the youth pastor told me that might know a little bit about it, but I've never met him. And I was just I was just thinking that we never know what God's doing. And you never know what goes past your efforts to reach people. I want to talk to you a little bit um, this evening about your relationship with the Lord and the possibility of friendship with God. But if we could begin with the word of prayer. Father, I pray now. <clears throat> Father, we pray that as... We preach your word and your truth. We pray, Father, that you would be present. Lord, I pray that, that your hand would be upon us. There would be nothing said truly, God, that is not thy will, that is not what you want said. And what is said would be said in thy spirit and with thy power. So, Father, please bless the service. Lord, please, I, I pray that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Beth and I have enjoyed our time here. We've been spending some time with our friends, the Crichtons, and I've been thinking a little bit about friendship. And what, what, what is a friend? How would you define a friend? It's been said that friends are those rare people who ask how we are and then wait to hear the answer. Friends, friendship is more like money, easier made than kept, said Samuel Butler. Butler. A true friend is one who knows all about you, and likes you anyway, said Christy Warner. The best kind of friend is a friend that you can, you can be with, and you don't feel like you have to be someone other than you are. They accept you for who you are, and you accept them for who they are. And I just think the word of friendship has fallen on hard times with social media. It is ridiculous that in social media, you click a button, and you are somebody's friend. And if you think about that, and you click another button, and you are no longer their friend. The idea of friendship has become so shallow. It has become so frivolous and so empty. The idea of friendship, of mutual support, of mutual love and care and concern, of vested interest in each other, is so much richer. It is so much broader and so much deeper than that. It simply is a, a part of the way that God has made you and I. Relationships are so important to us as, as people. We are created in the image of God, and God is, is a trinity. And there is perfect fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is perfect peace, perfect love. There is just, there is just a perfection that is there. 
And as you and I are distinctly and uniquely created within the image, with, a, with an incredible likeness to God, we are relational marvels. And we are at our best when we are connected. And we are at our lowest when we remain unconnected. And as one of the things that God does is as as soon as he saves us, he congregates us into a community of believers. He immediately begins a web of relationships with other believers. And through those relationships, we are sustained and sustaining others. And it is just a very, very important part of the way that we're made. And as an evidence of that, if you notice people that come to the lowest points in human existence, who do despicable deeds and horrible things, you will also notice their sense of deficit in relationships, the fact that they are alone, and the fact that they are not connected to other people. And I think in missions, it's important to note that in missions, we are soul winning, and soul winning is an important part of what we are doing, but we're also creating communities. We're also creating churches of people that have a rich spiritual relationship with those that are around them, according to the structure of the New Testament. Now, as much as we need relationships, the sense that God needs relationships with us is a little bit different. Now, how could God have a relationship with us? How could God be the friend of man? The Bible tells us in James chapter 2 that we are the friends of God. But how could that be? Well, God doesn't need friendship. And we never become equals with God in order to become friends. God is a unified whole. He lacks nothing and needs nothing. He is perfect in his nature. He has no beginning. He had no cause. He exists and he will exist in his perfection. And he So the fact that we are the friends of God is not because God needs us as a friend, but rather because he delights in us as friends. He finds a joy in the friendship that we have with him. And so as we understand this relational element that we exist in, we begin to become stronger. And as we embrace the friendship that we have with others, and the friendship that we have with him, we become much, much stronger. You know, when I was leaving my kids, Andrew, Becca, and Caleb at Bible college, that was a really, I had no idea how cataclysmic that was until we dropped them off. And uh, I just remember leaving and crying like a baby when uh, just dropping the kids off. And then we went back to Ireland and it was just us. So you come to that precipice your kids are here and you're back in Dublin 4,000 miles away, what do you tell them? What do you say to your kids? They're in Bible college. What is that last piece of advice? You've been their pastor. You've preached hundreds, thousands of sermons to them. What do you say? Well, it was really profound. (laughs) I said, stay in church. I said, don't miss Sunday night. Don't miss Wednesday night. Don't miss. Stay connected to the church, because in a very simple way, I understood that sometimes they're going to have some highs, and maybe they need to be around some people that help them see things as they really are. Sometimes they're going to be in a valley, and somebody's going to need to put their arm around them and help them out of that valley. 
Sometimes other people are going to need their strength. And my advice to them was, stay connected. Stay related. Keep building relationships with other people. Because if we do that, we find a strength that we will not find anywhere else. Look with me in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1. I want to show you Abraham, who was the friend of God. Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1. Notice how Abraham relates to God. And really, I think you can't, you, we can't really understand Abraham outside of his friendship with God. I, I think his friendship with God colors his relationship. And I think there's all, you can only really grasp who he is before God in the context of him being the friend of God. So Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, as he sat in the tent in the heat of the day. So we see that Abraham has a, a time and a place where he comes before God. It speaks of familiarity, of fellowship, of, of relationship. The Lord comes down to meet Abraham because he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham knows God when he comes. He seems to have a sense of him. It seems to be that he is familiar with him. Look with me in Hebrews 11 and verse 17. Hebrews 11 and verse 17, and we'll come back in Genesis 18 in just a minute. Hebrews 11 and verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac so thy, shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So as Abraham raises that knife above his son Isaac to slay him, he is aware that his son is a type or a figure of what God will ultimately someday do with his own son. He is receiving him. Verse number 17 to 18, it says, he, he's accounting that God can raise him up. And in raising him up, he is a figure of God raising up his own son. And I think there's tears streaming down his eye as he sees the ram caught over in the, in the bushes. And I think he recognizes that God, his son, who would be slain for the sins of the world is actually a sacrificial lamb. And I think he's aware, he perceives what is transpiring around him. He, he, he understands what God is doing in a way that is oblivious to many people that are around him. In John chapter 8 and verse number 56, Jesus said about Abraham, and your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So he received in a figure the offering of his own son. He saw the coming of Christ, and he rejoiced in that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he was the friend of God, and things are revealed in friendship that are not revealed outside of friendship. Things are revealed in those clo that closeness that are not known 
outside of that closeness. Look back again in Genesis 18 and verse number 1. Notice how the Bible says, The word of the Lord came unto Abraham, or the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And he says, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So notice how he has that sense of familiarity, that sense of understanding, that sense of knowing. Verse 16, And the men rose up from thence and went and looked toward Sodom, and then Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? This is an amazing thought. And it's interesting to note that God is not saying this to Lot. He is not saying this to anyone else. God is going to rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, Will I tell Abraham about this? What will Abraham think of it? How will Abraham view this? It's an astounding thought. Verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very, very grievous, I will go down now and see, the, see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know it. And then the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, if I was there and I saw these angels going toward Sodom, I think I would be curious as to what would happen. And I think I might say to the Lord, Lord, I'll be back in a bit. I want to see how this is going to play out. When these guys go down there, what are they going to do? What does it mean that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed? But Abraham has a friendship with God. And while those angels or men go, whoever they are, the angels, as they go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham remains behind, standing with the Lord. He is his friend. He enjoys time with him. He enjoys being in his presence. He enjoys the, the relationship that God has made possible with him, that God would condescend, that God would enable and make possible this relationship. Abraham rejoices in it. He delights in it. He, he finds a, a certain richness and completeness and wholeness, and he remains behind in the midst of this work that God is doing. Now think of Lot in the same situation, that Lot has gone to the gates of the city because he seeks worldly esteem, and he wants to be recognized by the world. He wants the pleasures that the world offers. He is a righteous man that is vexing his soul. He wants all that the world is, has for him and is giving to him, and he has no idea that God is coming to reign judgment. And Abraham is intimately connected to God and in fellowship with God and completely aware of all that is transpiring. And you know, there are people in this world who know God and who are so connected with what he's doing, who have a sense of understanding. And I'm not saying they're omniscient or they're, they're in any way equal to God, but I'm saying that they know and there's an awareness that many in the world are completely blind to and have no idea what is happening around them. Abraham also has influence with God. And as God is going to destroy, he, he asks Abraham. In eight, chapter 18 and verse number 32, he says, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak 
yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found here. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abram. And Abram returned to his place. What's Abraham doing here? And it's really a picture of this integrated relationship that he has with God, this very close relationship. Abraham is not just a friend for what benefits him or for what he gets from God. He is very concerned with God's kingdom and how God will be perceived or viewed in this act that is being committed. Now, we know God is omniscient. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. But Abraham's heart is so caught up in love, so caught up in closeness with God. He says, God, will you slay the righteous with the wicked at 50, 45, 40, 30, 20? And then he argues for 10 here. And we're beginning to see a similar characteristic in Moses, where both of them have a unique closeness to God. And both of them are very concerned with God's kingdom and God's work. They're very, very involved with how things are happening within the kingdom of God, how things are being played out, what is happening, and how is it happening. And there's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense of accountability. They are part of this. They are integrated in this relationship. And you see, one of the characteristics of friendship is friends are good to each other. They take care of each other. They're interested in each other. They listen to each other. They talk with each other. They share with each other. There's a sense of going through life together. And it's going both ways here. The Bible says in Genesis 24 and verse number 1, Genesis 24 and verse number 1, And Abram was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. So Abraham's rich, and God has been good to him in a physical way. He doesn't desire any good thing, and he's with him in everything. He's blessing him and his family, his efforts, his works, his life. But it's more than that. Abraham is there for God. It said when everyone walks out, a friend is the one who walks in. When someone when God is working on someone, excuse me, to be saved, are we the friend of God? When we are in that opportunity of, of where a relationship has been established and a relationship has, has gone a little bit further, this afternoon I was out and I was going to a store to buy something and I saw a guy with a camera and a lens and he had the same camera and lens that I had. And so I got to talk with him and we had a great conversation about cameras and gear and things like that. And um, he, he, was, he, he actually taught me quite a bit. And as we were talking, we came, we were there, I was talking with him about an hour, and we came to a point in the relationship where I said, I need to witness to this guy. And you know, it would have been really easy to just talk with him about a common thing that we had been talking about. But then I thought, as he was talking, the thought popped in my head, do I want to be that kind of person that I'm getting out of this, that I'm not representing God? that I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice friendship and relationship. I'm not willing to put that on the line to advance God's kingdom and advance the Lord's work. And I'm just saying wherever we're at, when we're in a ministry, when we're, when we're over in Ireland, when we're among family, that I'm the friend of God and his interests are my interests and his work is my work. And what he wants done is what I want done. And see, this is what we see with Abraham. 
Abraham is in it. I mean, he is there. And when there is something that God wants to do, and there is a work that God is doing in a way that God is leading, he really wants to see that. He really wants for that to be happen, to happen. And so you can see this in the value that he gives it when the king of Sodom comes back and offers him money. Abraham says, I won't take anything from you. Why? Because he's the friend of God. And he knows that if he were to take anything from the king of Sodom, that he would take from God's glory. And he would say that he is the one that had made Abraham rich. So as you look at Abraham, he just kind of moves across the pages of Scripture. He has this deep trust in God, and he's walking with God. He's just moving forward in that trust with God. Job had his controversies with God. He's tossed about. His three friends bring a lot of doubts. But Abraham staggers not. David is plagued with times of, of struggle with unbelief, wondering how the wicked prosper when he is chastened every morning. He descends in valleys. Abraham seems to walk on the hilltops. You see, I think as we come down to it, we look at Abraham, and we look at really what his faith is, his sense of dependence and trust in the Lord is. So as he's going through life, he has this, this sense of unshakable instant obedience in the presence of God. Now, all friendship has a degree of trust in it. Now, we know we deal with people who have faults and we're, we're wise. I'm not saying that we, we, we give trust where trust is not warranted or deserved. I understand that. However, the lack of trust is the death of friendship. All friendship has a degree or element of trust that is wisely given. But when we come to the Lord, there is no reason there cannot be absolute trust. That when you come to the Lord, there's no reason why I cannot come to him and trust him completely as he leads me. I can trust him as, as he guides me. I can know that his wisdom is perfect. As he begins to move in, in, in my life, I begin to see that he is worthy of my trust. And though I may not understand, and though I may struggle in that situation, I can trust him, and I can trust him absolutely. When, he command, when Abraham is commanded, it's interesting to notice his obedience. He, when he's commanded to slay his son, he does not wait a week or a month. Immediately in the morning, he goes. And, God, and he immediately begins to offer his son. There's no deliberation or wavering that is going on here. He is integrated. When I was in the Marine Corps, they, uh, they taught instant obedience. And so they were, uh, the Marines are, are taught to just obey with, without thinking. And uh, it's, it's a, just a part of the way that they train you. And they do that very intentionally. If there's a grenade that is thrown, it has a fuse, and it, they may wait for the fuse, and when it's thrown, it could go off almost immediately. So if you, hear, if you see a grenade that is coming into your fighting hole or into your situation, you yell grenade, and nobody thinks. Everybody drops. You don't think, you react. So if you're on a fire team, and you're out in a jungle, and somebody motions for you to get down, or to go in this position, you don't think, you react. That's what makes militaries. Militaries are excellent at stripping of identities so that you become one with that fighting unit that you are a part of. And you move as one, and it's one of the things that makes them incredibly efficient and incredibly effective. 
when you see Abraham, as he's moving through life, God is saying, leading here, and he's, he's there. God is saying, do this, he, he, he does it. That's Abraham. That's the relationship that he has with him. And I think sometimes when we deliberate, and sometimes when we, we, we wait to obey or wait to surrender some idol, or we wait in some situation, it reveals a lack of trust. It reveals a lack of, of walking with him. God said of Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse 19, he says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him and shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God says, I know him. I know him. I know him. He's going to do what he said he would do. He will raise these children the way I said to raise them. He will live the life that I have told him to live. He will be the person that I've told him to be. He is the friend of God. God is his friend. But not only is God his friend, he is the friend of God. It's a decision. We pursue him. We want him. His standard becomes our standard. His word becomes my motto. What he wants done, I want done. And where he leads, I want to be. And the way that he takes me, I want to go. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. I'm interested in his, king, his kingdom and furthering what he wants furthering. That is the character of the friend of God. And my friend, it is our great delight, our great joy, and our great privilege to be the friend of God, the one who's redeemed and saved, the one who's empowered, that I can be the friend of God. If you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, I'd just like to ask you, are we focused on the great possibility of being the friend of God, the great vistas that can be reached, the great potential that could be realized in each one of our lives as we go through life as the friend of God. God knows us, loves us, he delights in us. His delight is greater than the sun compared to the headlights in our car. He, he loves us, and he wants friendship. And we must, must, but, must just be but the friend of God. I pray in the quietness of the moment, as the Lord speaks, that you let him lead you into that deeper friendship. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.